history tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 41st episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And tonight, we're going to, oh, Canada. To British Columbia, one of my favorite provinces in Canada. Today, we're doing the Tranquil Sanatorium, which can be found in British Columbia, Canada. It's got an interesting history. A. A. And it also has some interesting hauntings going on there as well. Yay! We always love the hauntings. Which, of course, is why they are on the show in the first place. Hey, we got some great feedback on our last show that we had featuring Freya. That was a lot of fun. That was definitely a lot of fun. We had a great time talking to Freya from Australia. One of the things that we love about uh, our relationship with our listeners is that we're very open and honest with you guys and transparent about things. So I think everybody knows that when it comes to technology, we're not the best. (laughs) And by where she's not talking to me because I'm absolutely horrible. I'm not even beginning to be okay. You know how to flip the switch to turn your microphone on. Woohoo! Look at me go. And I can (laughs) scroll down. Yes. I have been for months pulling my hair out because I could not figure out how to get the Skype to go into the mixer so that it would go into our little handheld recorder so that we could have interviews with people on Skype. So Diane, show them when you're frustrated dealing with the computer, what do you say? Denise says I sound like a turkey (laughs) because instead of punching the computer, I make weird noises with my mouth. It is pretty funny. I don't laugh when she's doing it, but it's pretty funny. So do you want to give them a demonstration? No, I don't. (laughs) But what it all came down to was I was plugging in the wrong cables into the wrong place. Well, here, here's, I, I did, I had two problems. The first problem is I found out the hard way. You cannot do the, all the extra little plug in things. The mixer that we have is a USB one. When you put the USB right into the desktop, it just works. You don't have to plug any other cables in other than for the microphones. And everything just works beautifully. Now, if you want to throw in the Skype and record it outside of the mixer and everything, you have to have all these other cables that go with it. And when you plug those into the desktop, I found out the hard way, you get all the noise that is in the uh, desktop computer. So there's a lot of buzzing. And so when we were recording, everything sounded great for us. And we even were recording the Skype person. Okay. But the person who was on Skype, all they were getting was a lot of feedback and buzz and all this other stuff. Even though I was doing a mix minus and stuff, we were having a problem there. So I was just like, okay, I give up. I can't figure out what's going on. Well, then I figured out, okay, it's the desktop that's the problem. So I need to use a laptop. Well, by the time I got around to doing that, I forgot which cable was supposed to be plugged in where and I couldn't get it to work. And so up until the actual day that we were doing the call with Freya, I still was working on it. I said, okay, well, what we can do is we can record using Audacity. I'll just use the microphone that's on the laptop and the speakers that are on the laptop and we'll sound like we're in a tunnel, but it, it will have it. 
<laughs> because that's all I could think of. And finally, last ditch effort, I finally figured out which cable it was. And so I was like, okay, this will go good because Freya is a 17 year old girl. So if things get screwed up technologically or what have you, it's not going to be as bad as if we have like some professional on here and they'll think, these girls don't know what the hell they're doing. Why am I even on this show? And actually found out Freya was a professional. So she brought a lot to the show. Well, not only that, but then as we're doing the the co-hosting and everything with her, and she's talking about how excited she is, and I can tell how excited she is, and you know, her mom's going to listen in and everything, I start to get more and more scared because this is the first time I've ever tried this, like recording off Skype. I'm hoping that the recorder's recording everything. I'm hoping I can figure out how to get it from the recorder into the computer and edit it and everything. So I'm just getting more and more nervous as we're going. So when we got it done and I got everything edited and it all worked out beautifully and the sound was wonderful, it was just like, oh my gosh, it worked. So we're very happy about that because everything went so well. I thought, hey, Denise, that would be really cool to do that again. Yes, it would. So if you guys enjoyed it, and there are some of you out there who wouldn't be nervous about being on the show, but you've been to certain locations and you know a little bit about it and you would like to share some of that with us, we'd love to share it that way too. Now, we can have professionals on, but a lot of them, of course, come on because they're trying to hawk a book which is fine with me. I'm going to be doing that pretty soon myself. So Book is at the editor, guys. It is. Book is at the editor. Book number one of my trilogies at the editor. I can't even believe I let it go out of my hands because I'm one of those people I'm like, oh my God, I suck. (laughs) So start pressuring her to publish her children's book that she wrote like, oh, 10 years ago. Okay. (laughs) And it's fine, you know, if they're coming on to because they want to talk about their book, but then a lot of the time they don't want to share a whole lot of details because then nobody's going to read the book because they just told you everything on air. It's kind of like when people write true crime, they try to hold back some of the juicy elements so you'll read the book. So I've never really wanted to have people on who had a book because are they going to share everything with you and all that other stuff. But I thought, wow, and we might have some people on like that in the future and stuff. But I thought, wow, wouldn't that be cool if we had it kind of open that way? So not only do we want to hear your tales if you want us to share it with other people if you've had a real life ghost experience and if you've had those we'd love to hear those too because we can put those in our bonus cast but if you want to do something similar to what Freya did uh, we're open to that absolutely also I wanted to we don't do a whole lot of like prayer requests and stuff here on the show but I know that Mary who's one of our listeners out there has been following a, a little guy named baby Max and I hate it when children have cancer Denise it just it's horrible when anybody gets cancer I hate cancer and when it's children especially babies I just hate it. And little baby Max has been fighting this cancer for some time and it was starting to shrink, but they went in and got an MRI this last week and it's growing again. So Uh if you would just send some prayers out to baby Max that that cancer will go away, that would be wonderful. We want to give a shout out to our followers over at TuneIn. We've hit 144 followers, Denise. Wow, 144. So I guess they're tuning in. That's very cool. So hi to all of you listening in on TuneIn. Of course, we love all of you people who are listening in on Stitcher and on iTunes as well or wherever you happen to be listening to the podcast. You can check out our website at historygoesbump.com. As of right now, which is this show will be up on April 19th, 2015. If you go over to the website right now, you see there's a little maintenance sign up there because I am working to try to get the site so it pops a little bit more and it's a little bit more user-friendly because I wasn't happy with what we had before. And now that I've got a little bit more web development under my hat... (laughs) Literally, folks, we do it all here. I'm uh, trying to do some... I love that she includes me in everything. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm trying to do some upgrades to it. So it should be ready sometime this next week and it should be a little bit more user friendly and all that good stuff. So, but that's where you can find out everything you'd want to know about the show. Our archives are going to be over there. I'm redoing the archives and everything. So there'll be little descriptions with it and it'll be easier to listen to it there and uh, have it set up as like separate posts. So they're easier to find and all that good stuff. So just working on all of that. We'd love to have you sign up for our mailing list there. It's not just to get a newsletter. And believe me, we send out maybe three, four things a month at the most. So you're not going to be inundated with a bunch of junk mail from us in your email box. You won't have to scroll down and delete us every day. Exactly. But we want to have a way to be able to communicate with you guys, especially for people who are not necessarily on any of the social media, especially on our upcoming trip here, because... We're going to try to set up some things, and that would be the best way for us to communicate with you is to send out an email and let you know that something's going on. You can donate to the show there. You can buy things from the Emporium, and we're getting ready to book a lot of our stuff for the road trip. So we'll get those all up on the events page so that people can see where we're going to be and what times and all that good stuff if you'd like to join us along the road if you're in any of the cities where we're stopping at. Denise, if they want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Fabulous. Well, I think we're ready to get going. Yes, we are. If you would like to support the show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash historygoesbump. Or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation. Click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com. Welcome to this moment in oddity history. Mixing fire and paper is never a good idea. Since the Holy Bible is a thick bound pile of paper, one would think that Bibles would burn quite readily. But something strange happens on occasion when Bibles and fires mix. It would seem that sometimes the Bible is fireproof. One such example of this phenomenon occurred last week involving one of the lead singers of country group Lady Annabellum. Hilary Scott was sleeping in the back of one of the group's tour buses when a rear tire blew out and the bus caught fire. She evacuated the tour bus quickly along with her husband, tour manager, and the driver. The entire rear lounge area of the bus was destroyed, including everything in it except Hillary's Bible. She wrote on Facebook, quote, I kid you not, everything in the back lounge was destroyed from the flames except my Bible. The outside cover was burned and messed up, but not one page was missing, end quote. One might say this was luck and that the idea that a Bible will not burn is urban legend. But how do you explain all the people who began sharing their personal stories of similar experiences? Pam said the interior of her car was burned out, but the Bible she left inside had only a singed cover. Monica wrote, quote, When our house burned down seven years ago, everything was destroyed. The firefighters did their best to save it, but there was no use. A young firefighter fell through the floor, and when they pulled him out, he had my Bible in his hand. Neither the firefighter nor my Bible was harmed. The Unexplained Mysteries website forum details a story about a girl whose house burned down, but the family Bible survived with only a burned cover and singed pages. So, is the Bible fireproof? Who knows for sure, but a book that doesn't burn in a destructive fire certainly is odd.
This Day in History. 20 years ago, on this day, April 19th, in 1995, America was shocked by a domestic terrorist attack on American soil. Bailey Allman would have been 21 years old this year had she not been killed that day along with 167 other adults and children. Bailey was the little girl pictured in a photo taken by Charles Porter IV that appeared in papers and on the cover of Time magazine being cradled by a firefighter. The image of her sweet, lifeless body was forever burned into the minds of people who saw the picture and won the photographer a Pulitzer Prize. Timothy McVeigh, a Gulf War veteran, and his accomplice, Terry Nichols, planned and carried out a bombing against the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in downtown Oklahoma City. They formulated a bomb from fertilizer and other chemicals and loaded it into the back of a Ryder rental truck. McVeigh parked it in front of the building and then set it off. The blast completely obliterated the front of the Murrah building and damaged 324 buildings within a 16-block radius. After the blast, 665 rescue workers worked in rescue and recovery operations. Not only were 168 people killed, but 680 were injured. McVeigh was pulled over 90 minutes after the attack and arrested for driving without a license and weapons charges. Nichols was arrested shortly thereafter. McVeigh claimed that he was motivated to give the government some payback after the Ruby Ridge and Waco sieges that were disastrous for the government. Nichols was sentenced to life in prison without parole, and that included 161 life sentences, which set a Guinness World Record. He is incarcerated at the Mexican Security Prison in Florence, Colorado. McVeigh was sentenced to death, and that was carried out via lethal injection on June 11, 2001. The Oklahoma City National Memorial was built outside the Murrah Building and dedicated in 2000. You're listening to History Goes Bump. On the outskirts of Kamloops, British Columbia, lies what remains of a once thriving, self-sufficient city for the sick. Tranquil Sanatorium is a complex made up of over 40 buildings that once housed the sick and later the handicapped. The grounds were beautiful and tranquil, and today attempts are being made to revitalize the location. But not all is tranquil at the sanatorium. Spirits continue to knock about the place. The years of loneliness and sadness seem to have been absorbed into the environment, and on occasion, those emotions can be felt by the living, and haunting encounters can occur. It would seem that Tranquil Sanatorium just might be haunted. Kamloops, British Columbia in Canada, began as a fur trading post in 1812. The Thompson Rivers meet in Kamloops, and the local indigenous tribe, Sequapemic First Nation, named it to Kemlups, which means where the rivers meet. The location near the rivers helped Kamloops grow into a thriving city. Two rival fur trading companies had set roots in the area, the Pacific Fur Company and the Northwest Company. The two companies combined efforts in 1813, but were later merged into the larger Hudson Bay Company in 1821. The Hudson Bay Company established Thompson's River Post. The post would later be renamed to Fort Kamloops. Fort Kamloops became an important way station between forts and later was used heavily during the Caribou Gold Rush. The Caribou Gold Rush was the most famous gold rush in British Columbia and started in 1861. The Canadian Pacific Railway was established in the 1880s and Kamloops expanded during that time. The city was incorporated in 1893. In 1907, the King Edward Memorial Sanatorium was built in Kamloops, 
to help treat tuberculosis despite the objection of local townspeople who feared contracting the dreaded disease. The climate in Kamloops is semi-arid and temperatures are generally mild, making it a keen place for tuberculosis sufferers. The name was later changed to Tranquil Sanatorium based on the small community that built up around the hospital. The community included several homes, a farm, and a fire department. The farm was original to the property and had been owned by the Cooney family that originally settled in the area in 1865. The Anti-Tuberculosis Society brought the property and used the farm to house sick people until the hospital could be finished. And the farm continued to operate as a ranch, helping the hospital to be fairly self-sufficient. The hospital was under the direction of Dr. Charles Fagan. The goals of the Anti-TB Society were to inaugurate and carry on a publicity campaign against tuberculosis, to stimulate a lively public interest in the prevention and treatment of tuberculosis, to cooperate with, assist, and encourage organizations and institutions engaged in the fight against the White Plague, to endeavor to promote the physical economy and social welfare of dependents and homes of persons incapacitated with tuberculosis, and generally to assist all by lawful means in bringing about conditions designed to control and prevent the spread of tuberculosis and curtail its ravages. The main building was completed in 1910. Other buildings were built to house doctors and nurses on the property. The nurses' residence was completed in 1913. The Anti-Tuberculosis Society ran the sanatorium until 1921. The provincial government then took over the operations. The decision to transfer operations to the government at that time was made because, according to Provincial Secretary John McLean, quote, This is too large and important an undertaking to be managed and supported by voluntary effort, and secondly, because the care of contagious disease of this nature should be the duty of the province, end quote. The government built the J.B. Greaves Building in 1921 using money donated by J.B. Greaves to the Anti-TB Society. In all, there were 40 buildings on the property, with four of them serving as hospitals, including the main building, the Greaves Building, the East-West Pavilion, and the infirmary. A beautiful sunken garden was built on the property as well. Access tunnels were built below the gardens to facilitate the transport of food and laundry. The hospital closed in 1958 when tuberculosis had become less of a threat because a cure was discovered in 1957. Tranquil Sanatorium was repurposed and reopened the following year as a place to house the mentally handicapped and mentally ill. Conditions in such hospitals was deplorable around the world. Tranquil tried to be different. The food was good and care was better than most places, but privacy and other concerns were poor. Unionization caused care to decrease in the 1970s. The hospital closed permanently in 1983. Twenty years later, a group of investors bought the property and renamed it Tranquil on the Lake. Many of the buildings were decorated with murals that still exist to this day. Restoration efforts are underway, and the ranch is still a working farm that is open and sells produce as the Tranquil Farm Fresh Market on the weekends. The ultimate plan is to make the area an urban living location. We wonder if prospective residents have been told about the unseen residents that knock about the place. The interesting thing, Denise, when I was doing the research about what had happened with this building after it closed as a sanatorium, is that I would see two different things. Some places would say that it was a place that was open for the mentally ill, and then other places would say it was a place for the mentally handicapped. And so I was like, well, which is it? I mean, those aren't the same thing. They're two totally different things. So I was like, well, I I can't figure out which one it is. 
So as I continued to do searching, and then I started looking at the way other places were run back then, it suddenly occurred to me that, you know, we have this history in all of the world. And not all history, obviously, as we know, is good history. And there's a lot of things that you don't like to look at when it comes to history. And I think everybody understands that when mentally handicapped children were born, that their parents were told this child is never going to thrive. You might as well just leave them by the side of the road, put them away. So I think what happened in this particular area is you had a lot of the put them away somewhere else. Let somebody else take care of the situation. And here's a place that's being run by the government. Great. We'll just put them there. It's my understanding that they were housing the mentally ill and mentally handicapped altogether. Well, and back in history as well, they didn't really differentiate between the two. They, they just kind of considered if you weren't like all able-bodied that there was something wrong with you and you were mentally ill. And that's such a bad You know, that's bad true thing. because obviously... Autism has become something that only in the past couple of decades is been something that we understand. But is it just because all of a sudden autism came out of nowhere? Well, obviously not. So it's just that they didn't really have a name and didn't understand it. So I'm sure there were a lot of people who were autistic at one time that they thought were mentally ill instead of just being, you know, that they have some kind of a, they, they learn differently. They need to be, they interact with the world around them differently. It doesn't mean that they're less than or what have you. I mean, we have an autistic cousin and we have an autistic nephew and they both are really fairly well-functioning individuals. And brilliant, both of them and mm-hmm. funny. Mm-hmm. So, We did find some records that indicate that there was a cemetery on property that was relocated to Kamloops. Bodies of the poor and unclaimed were dumped into a mass unmarked grave, apparently. Not something one wants to do if they hope to keep spirits at rest. Reports of light phenomenon abound on the property. Light orbs and faint floating lights are seen traveling in circles, especially at the main entrance, and the lights go on and off by themselves. Many of the buildings are abandoned and will probably be demolished. Apparitions and dark figures have been seen in the windows. A bizarre twisting mist has been captured in pictures. The mist is not witnessed by the naked eye. The hospital had been divided into several wings. The B wing in particular has reported hauntings. Pediatrics was contained in this wing, and the crying of children is heard there. An apparition has been seen wandering in the same area, claiming she is looking for her lost child. She is witnessed crying. Those cries echo in the hallways even after she disappears. An electrician reportedly died in the basement while doing repair work, and his spirit is sometimes seen down there. As mentioned earlier, there were underground tunnels beneath the sunken gardens. These tunnels are reportedly the most haunted area of the location. More than food and laundry was moved in these tunnels. Dead bodies were transported this way as well. The staff did not want to upset the living, but apparently they did upset the dead. People who have investigated the tunnels claim to have been pushed by unseen forces and muffled moans are heard echoing down the tunnels. And I'd seen one woman who was had gone out to this site, and I'll give you more information about her in a moment. But she had said that she'd heard that the tunnels were haunted and everything, and she suggested that people not investigate there because who knows maybe they're crumbling and in disrepair and that kind of thing this i believe the article that she'd written was a couple years ago and as i went to the main site for the location those tunnels are not in disrepair they actually offer tours on occasion down there and when you look down there i mean they look like they're all concreted in and everything it's not like you know they're dirt on the sides or something i mean they're official tunnels underneath there and they look like they're okay 
So it was like, but, uh, they're okay for like walking around, but I don't know about if you don't want to be joined by something that you can't see yeah, or grabbed or <laughs> brushed up against. Well, it's funny that they say they hear moaning because if they're transporting the dead, were they sometimes maybe transporting the not quite dead yet <laughs> and just kind of dump their bodies? I mean, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> yeah. My looks, guys, she's quoting Monty Python. Yay. <laughs> Rumors have circulated that a nurse was murdered by a patient and now she still wanders the grounds. An intense feeling of sadness is felt throughout the buildings that we believe is latent emotion that is built up from years of people being separated from others and their family because of their illness or mental issues. Sudden drops in temperature are felt as well. One person claimed that he was at the location at night and he was chased away by a mist-like apparition. You can imagine at a place like that, there would be a heavy sadness because back in the day, they didn't do like family groups and all this group stuff. It was just basically, like you said, they locked them away. So I can imagine just sitting there by yourself, locked away from the rest of the world and just nurses and doctors would cause quite a bit of sadness. I found one website where a guy had documented some of the history and then he was keeping track of information that people were giving him about residents who'd been there. And there were a lot of people who were talking about, well, my grandfather had been there when he was sick or whatever. And there was one woman who said, well, I remember when I was a young girl that my mom had been there for a couple of years and she had had tuberculosis. And she said her mom did beat it and got to come home again. And the thing that her mom talked about a lot was just the intense loneliness she felt because mm-hmm. they couldn't go visit her and she couldn't see her family and you're separated out because tuberculosis was contagious and they were afraid that it would spread. And it's when it, you know something like that gets out of control, that's why they're a little bit worried that we're having it come across the border from Mexico right now. And we thought we'd beat this tuberculosis thing and it's coming back into its own again, so... But there yeah. would be this intense. And it seems like when you have hauntings, that's where a lot of it emulates from. Loneliness, sadness, hate, and... Um, tragedy, for just, sure. Just tragic, yeah. yeah, whatever it might be, whether it's an accident or murder or something of that nature. Yeah, so, you know, looking at... And we've talked about that before, the, the strong correlation of hauntings to intense emotion. Mm-hmm. So. so definitely could see why when people are walking around in there that they just feel this sadness but the cool thing is this has been turned into a a type of farmer's market and they even have it's really neat they have these um, places where they used to keep the cows they used to milk the cows and everything they pretty much took care of themselves there because the townspeople didn't want them coming anywhere near the town really they have these pens that are still there and they painted them white and they're big enough that each one of them is like a little area for or where vendors can set up their stuff so it's a farmer's market, not just with produce, but vendors are there selling some of their wares. And it looks really neat. Well, next time we're in British Columbia, since you do know that you have gone there on occasion. <laughs> I have no idea where Kamloops is, though. Is that anywhere? I don't know where it's at. <laughs> guess we'll have to look. Yeah, we'll have to look. And so maybe someday we can camper it up there. Who knows? But so do the former residents of Tranquil Sanatorium still hang around the place? Is their energy locked into the location? Is Tranquil Sanatorium Haunted? That is for you to decide. And in the show notes today, I do have a couple of links there. Sheila Webster has this website that's called We Love Cam Loops, and she's got all kinds of stuff on there. Well, anyway, she had this article about Tranquil Sanitarium, and she had a lot of pictures. She'd gone up there and taken a ton of pictures. So I just put the link there so that people can go over and look at the pictures that she has. 
And then she went back a little bit later. I believe it was about a year later and they were doing a whole bunch of restoration. And so she was putting up the before and after picture so that you could see how they'd restored stuff. And they're really doing a good job up there. So then I have a link to that post that she put on her website as well. And then the farm does have their official website, which is at tranquilfarmfresh.com. And the way you spell tranquil is a little bit different. It's T-R-A-N-Q-U-I-L-L-E. So make sure you put the L-E at the end of that. And, you know, we might have to peruse through those pictures a little closely because sometimes when restoration's starts happening and pictures are taken, you do see apparitions. It makes one wonder if the haunting activity has not increased a little bit because they're doing that. Plus, as we mentioned earlier, it has been bought by some investors who are trying to form this urban, sustainable type city that they're trying to build there. And so I think they're going to be tearing down quite a bit of stuff. They're going to be building a lot of homes. They just want to make it this community. And then it will become a, a, how a theme this, park down the road. Yeah. <laughs> that's how Epcot started. That's true. I don't know how the spirits are going to feel about it. So we'll see. The activity might kick up a little bit there. Obviously, a lot of people died there and they would have just buried them there because they nobody came back for their else, bodies. Right. And, and then, like I said, there was a cemetery there and they decided to move everybody. And that's just never a good idea. You don't want to build on top of them either. But, you know, I just... I hate it when they move stuff. And of course, when their people are poor or unclaimed, they, they just get left behind. Dumping on a mass grave yeah. and there's no markers or anything. So it's kind of unfortunate that way. And the, the really unfortunate thing about this location is the reason why that guy had set up the website and was trying to get all these personal stories. There's not a lot of records. You just, you, there's not a lot of records to find out who was there and why and when and. All of that stuff. Well, and as we've seen as we've gone through different cemeteries, especially the older ones, some of the markers, you would have no idea. You can't read them. You can't, you know. Well, and I was just talking just in general, not just the cemetery. I was talking about people oh. who stayed at the actual hospital and oh, everything. That, yeah, that's true, too. So We're going to still be out of the country for the next show. We're going to go to Ireland again. Back to Ireland. <laughs> and we're going to do Leap Castle. Leap. Don't, don't leap from that castle. <laughs> I'm like Leap Castle. The first thing that comes to mind is that little Lucky Charms guy <laughs> leaping around. Oh, my Lucky Charms. Okay. You did and- it. <laughs> and then after that, the final show of April, we're going to go to Egypt. Which was a listener suggested location. Yes. Levi said he likes Egyptology and he'd love to hear something about Egypt. So we're going to do the Valley of the Kings. Ooh, that will be amazing. So we're going to talk like an Egyptian. How did Egyptians talk? (laughs) I (laughs) I don't know, but we're not going to be walking like Egyptians. I I was about to do the whole walking like the Egyptians. Does that really date us us going back to the Bengals? So we're going to have to talk like an Egyptian. Talk like an Egyptian. They made hieroglyphics, so... They still talked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they did? (laughs) No, they just wrote on walls. It looks really cool. <laughs> That's how they talk to each other. They just walk around these little tablets and hammer into <laughs> Man, it takes forever to have a conversation in this town. The original chat room. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, enough from us. Thank you so much for joining us for this show. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Christopher. And this is Joe. From the Curioso Podcast. 
And here at the Curioso, when we want to listen to ghost tours for the theater of the mind, we listen to the History Goes Bump podcast. <laughs> 